Our sermon text this, e- this evening is verses, uh, verses 11 through 22. Indeed, a, a very doctrinally thick portion of Scripture. Let's read it that the Lord might speak through it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made of flesh, made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God and in one body through, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, O Lord, for your word, and we trust and know because you've told us uh, that your word is truth. And so we ask, O Lord, that you would sanctify us by your truth. We pray, O Lord, that you would especially give clarity and understanding this evening as we preach, as I preach your word, and that we might hear the Lord Christ himself preaching peace to those who are far off and those who are near. We pray all these things in Christ Jesus' name, amen. So you all know that a couple weeks ago, um, myself, Pastor Michael, and two of our ruling elders uh, traveled to Memphis, Tennessee to go to our General Assembly. Our General Assembly is our our big kind of denomination-wide meeting, business meeting, uh, where we we come together and we do the business of the church. Well, One of the evenings uh, after the assembly's over, you know, they give us time to go eat dinner and so on and so forth. One of the evenings, um, myself and Pastor Michael and and actually Jeremiah Dahl um, went to eat dinner um, down in in Memphis on on Beale Street. And uh, because that's really the only place that you can actually find food there. Unfortunately, the the restaurant, all the restaurants are like a mile away from where the hotel is and the convention center is. There's nothing to eat there. So... We wandered down uh, on, on that Wednesday afternoon uh, to go find something to eat, and, and we did. But there was something else also happening on Beale Street on that Wednesday afternoon. 
Um, what was happening on Beale Street on that Wednesday afternoon was a midweek biker rally. Midweek biker rally. And even before we had walked down there, I, I had kind of made the split second decision just, you know, just to wear whatever I had wore to the assembly. I decided not to change into casual clothes. I just thought, you know what? We're kind of in a hurry. We'll go on. I'll, I'll just wear this. And so here I am in, in kind of slacks and a white, a white button-up shirt uh, with, my, with my bow tie on. And here we are walking down Beale Street during this midweek biker rally. And so if you would have been there on Bill Street that evening, what you would have noticed, what you would have seen was this. Right, a lot of motorcycles, a lot of noise, a lot of music, a lot of people, and a lot of people, I mean, shall we say, perhaps not dressed in the most modest apparel that one could dress in. And what else you would have seen was this six foot four guy in a white button-down shirt with his baby blue bow tie with white polka dots on it, kind of walking down the street through all of these other things that are going on. You would have looked at that situation and you would have said, you know what, I'm not sure he belongs here. (laughs) He looks like an outsider. Uh, And I can tell you from experience, he even felt like an outsider. Now everyone on Beale Street knew that this guy doesn't belong in this place at this time. It was obvious. And if if we're all kind of honest, all of us have felt that way at some point in time in our lives, right? As a kid, maybe perhaps you didn't get invited to your, your friend's birthday party or maybe as an adult, you either significantly overdressed or underdressed to an occasion or an event or maybe, you know, as you made kind of, as you grew up and you made different choices from your friends, they all went one direction, you went another. And, you know, or maybe you just kind of generally find yourself having a hard time to fit in. Being an outsider, whatever may be the case, is not fun, right? Being an outsider is really quite a, a miserable experience. And it's really an experience that we, that we all try to avoid at all costs, Those outsider experiences are, are indeed kind of dreadful. But there's one outsider experience that we really probably don't think about too much. Um, and it's the one that's mentioned here in this particular text, right? Being an outsider to the covenant people of God, being an outsider to God's chosen people, being an outsider to God's people who are saved by grace through faith in Christ. That's one of those that we tend to overlook, especially those who, who came to faith earlier on in life. Those of us who came to faith later on in life, we remember that experience vividly. But nevertheless, perhaps this far away from our conversion, or maybe this far away from remembering what the old life was like, we tend not to spend a whole lot of time thinking about verses 11 and 12. Which is why perhaps Paul gives the imperative, right? He gives the command, remember, recall. In other words, wake up to these realities. Paul's saying to us, remember what you were. Because it's really easy to forget the old life and just how miserable it really was. 
But just because we may overlook this particular outsider experience doesn't mean that, that it doesn't have really awful consequences. It does have really awful consequences. Right? Being an outsider to the covenant people of God is a really grim thing and has really grim consequences. Right? That's, that's what it was like for the Gentiles, right? They were outsiders to the covenant people of God. Right? That's what it felt like for a Gentile under the old covenant before Christ came and before he died and before he was resurrected and before he brought these two groups of people together. Right? That's what Paul's saying in verse 11. Right? You didn't have the sign of the covenant people of God. You weren't circumcised, which means that you were not a part of the covenant people, which means that you, there, were, there were really grim consequences for you. Five consequences in particular that not only kind of define the Gentile experience outside of, of, of the covenant people of God, but five really grim consequences that define what it's like to be outside of the covenant people of God 2,000 years later. Just because this is talking about Jews and Gentiles doesn't mean that these grim consequences are aloof and separated from us today, from people who are separated from the covenant people of God today. And so verses 11 and 12 really kind of, they apply to to two more or less groups of people. Those of us who are part of God's covenant people now, Paul is encouraging us to to remember what it was like to be separated. And then the other group, perhaps this maybe applies to, is for those of us who who are separated from the covenant people of God now, to wake up to these consequences, these very grim consequences. What are they? Well, first... Being an outsider to the covenant people of God means being separated from Christ, which means that Christ is not yours and neither are his benefits, which means that there's no predestination, there's no justification, there's no sanctification, there's no glorification, there's no adoption, there's no salvation. Not belonging to Christ and not belonging to the covenant people of God go together And not only do you not belong to Christ and he not belong to you, but but second, you don't belong to anyone else either. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, but also alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. The Gentiles were alienated from from the commonwealth of Israel. They couldn't belong. They couldn't belong to God. They couldn't belong to his people. They were truly outsiders, strangers to the people of God and to his promises which is the third grim consequence is strangers to the covenants of promise. Can you imagine waking up tomorrow knowing that you were not part of the covenant people of God? Could you imagine waking up in the morning knowing that, that God's promises to his covenant people were not yours? That was the life of a Gentile. That's the life of a non-Christian. That's the life of someone who is outside the covenant people of God, the people who love God and the people who follow him and the people believe in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
strangers to the covenants of promise, waking up knowing not that all things are working for your good, but that all things are working towards your destruction. And what a miserable life. I mean, that is the definition of, fourthly, having no hope. No Christ, no people, no promises without hope. And lastly, without God in the world. Not only is your future characterized by the death and destruction and judgment of God, but your present is characterized by helplessness. That's what it's like to be outside of the covenant people of God. Paul's telling the Ephesians, he's telling Christians, remember, remember. There were grim consequences for being outside the covenant people of God. Baby Christian, there are grim consequences for being outside the covenant people of God. Covenant child, covenant children, there are grim consequences for being outside the covenant people of God. Unbelievers, there are grim consequences for being outside the covenant people of God. Being an outsider comes with real consequences, grim consequences. We've all seen those, um, those National Geographic documentaries, right? Those those documentaries of kind of what animal kingdom is like, you know, out in Africa, what it's like to be a wildebeest out in the middle of nowhere. Now, what's the one thing that you don't want to do if you're a wildebeest out in the middle of nowhere, where are, out in the middle of a land of lions and hyenas where there are dozens of things that are above you in the, in the food chart? The last thing that you want to do is find yourself outside of the group Right, because what happens outside of the group? When you wind up outside of the posse, there's death. Right? The lions find you, the hyenas find you. Everything else finds you, death finds you. While inside the group, there is protection, there is provision, there is safety, there is nurturing, there is life. Outside of the group, there is only certainty of death. There's no protection. There's no provision, there's no safety, there's no nurturing, there's no life. The same is true when it comes to the people of God. God has chosen to save his church. God has chosen to save his people. To be outside of those people is not only just to be an outsider, but it's to be cast away, it's to be separated from God himself. Being an outsider comes with real consequences, grim consequences. And so perhaps there are some of us who who are having a difficult time kind of wading through the Christian life. 
Maybe there are some of us who are having a hard time really kind of truly appreciating the benefits of being a part of not only the body of Christ, but of being a part of this particular body of Christ. What's what's Paul saying to us? What's the Spirit of God saying to us through the Apostle Paul? He's reminding you there are grim consequences for being out there. You may be having a hard time wading through the Christian life right now, but out, being out there, being separated from God and being separated from his people, that's not the answer. Or maybe there are those of us who are, you know, kind of feel, maybe not that we're having a hard time wading through the Christian life, but we just feel a little bit dry. And our hearts seem to be a little bit dull. Christian life seems to be just a little bit stagnant. And we long to, to, to feel, to be closer to God himself. Brother, sister, remembering where you came from is the starting place to appreciating where Christ has you now and, and what he has made you to be and what he has saved you from. Right? Appreciating the work of Christ starts with having a real conversation about where you were and what you were before his grace got a hold of you. But we we, we don't want to just remember, right? The whole remembering part, that's just verses 11 and 12. Paul doesn't want us to get stuck there. He moves on to something else, right? Verses 11 and 12 are setting us up to, to really gain an appreciation for the work of Christ, That's what verses 13 to 22 are all about. To to remember being an outsider presumes that that's not what we are at present, right? He wants us to move past remembering to really engaging, to to looking at what Christ has done for his people now. And in the same way that, that, that being outside the covenant people of God, there are terribly grim consequences in Christ and only in Christ are you brought in? Right? In Christ, you have an in. In Christ, you get into the covenant people of God. In Christ and only in Christ are all those grim consequences replaced with wonderful and beautiful benefits. Hey, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. At once separated from God, at once separated from his people, at once separated from his covenants of promise, now brought in by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, brought inside, come in, he says. Gentiles were no longer out there. Through Christ they are brought in. Only only by being in Christ could the Jews no longer be at enmity with the Gentiles. Well, that's that's the content of verses 14 through 16. For For he himself, right, Christ Jesus himself is our peace 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Right? There, there were laws that kept Jews and Gentiles distinct from one another. As a Jew, what you ate and how you ate and uh, separated you from the rest of the world, only in Christ, only Christ Jesus could make those laws go away. Right? As a Jew, there were laws regarding circumcision that, that separated you from the rest of the world. Only Christ could fulfill the need for no more shedding of blood. As a Gentile, perhaps this is what Paul's referring to in verse 14, talking about the dividing wall of hostility. As a Gentile, there was a literal wall in the temple complex that you could not go any, you, you could not go past that wall. There was a literal wall that separated you, that, that, that prohibited you from physically getting closer to God in his dwelling place in the temple. Only Christ, only Christ who is Emmanuel, who is God with us, could abolish the need for a temple with its dividing wall of hostility. Right? Only Christ could remove these ethnic distinctions, these even more even spiritual distinctions between the people of God and his new people of God, the Gentiles. Only Christ, not, not only does Christ, can, can, can only Christ make these two bodies of people come together, but only Christ could reconcile us to God the Father. Only the Lord Jesus could reconcile both Jew and Gentile through the cross. That's verse 16. It might, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. What is God doing on the cross? He's not just merely erasing these ethnic distinctions. He's not merely just making one body of people, but he is reconciling his new body, the body of Christ, to his Father. We have all sinned and death is the fruit of sin and the only way that that death could be removed is by Christ himself dying on our behalf. The only way that we could be reconciled to God the Father is through the Son of God, God himself, dying for our sakes. Him taking my debt on himself. Isaiah 53, him taking my trespasses on himself, dying on my behalf. And only Christ can bring these two bodies together, but only Christ can bring me in reconciliation with the Father. He's done it on the cross, he's done it in the resurrection but now he applies it through the preaching of Christ. Only by the preaching of Christ through 
the preaching of the apostles, could all these things be received and believed for those who are far off and for those who are near? Verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. And only in Christ do we have access to the Father through the Spirit. You see, what is Paul getting at in verses 13 through 8? He's getting at this, this idea that without Christ, we are hopeless and helpless and deserve only the wrath of God. It is only Christ who could break down the wall of hostility. It's only Christ who could reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. It's only the preaching of Christ that we can attain these benefits. It's only through Christ that we have access to God the Father through the Spirit. See, that's, that's the point Paul's been making throughout the whole letter. From chapter one, verse one, in Christ you are saved. But really even stronger than that, only in Christ are you saved. There's only one way to be a part of the covenant people of God. It's by grace through faith in Christ. Only in Christ. As a young Christian or, or maybe even perhaps before I became a Christian, you know, I thought that if I could dress like the people at church, if I could talk like the people at church, if I could act like the people at church, if I could really adopt the same schedule as the people at church, then eh, I could be a part of the church. Right? That, that, that belonging to God was a mere external thing. The only way to become a part of the covenant people of God is Christ Jesus. He's my only in. There, there is no other way to get in besides him. Not my works, not my lingo, not anything but a heart saved by the grace of God through faith. Only by trusting in Christ. I mean, and perhaps maybe that's part of the reason why we, we stay anxious about whether or not we are in the covenant people of God or whether or not we are in good standing with God himself is because we're, we're, we're staking our standing with God on ourselves and on our things, on external things rather than on Christ Jesus our Lord. Right, that's only a miserable life of spiritual exhaustion. You know, and, and, and could it be that you know, that's why we feel like we don't fit in? The reality is, again, that there's only one way in. There's only one way to become part of God's people. And all of us must come in that way through Christ. Christ. And if that is the case, then that means that not one of us are greater or lesser than the other. Right? We may not all like the same things. We may not all have the same background. We may not all have the same upbringing. We may not all agree about politics. We may not all have the same convictions. But this is true. 
all of us were outsiders apart from Christ. And all of us are only in Christ. It's the only way that we become a part of the covenant people of God. Right? Only in Him. It's not my intellectual prowess. It's not my middle class status. It's not my decades of growth and maturity. It's not my togetherness. It's not my Presbyterianism. It's not my Reformed theology. It's not my weirdness. It's not my good behavior. It's not my works. It's only Christ that gets me a part, to, to be a part of his people. So we really are one body. If we are one in Christ, then we are one body. And being one in Christ, we not only belong together, but we belong to God himself. This idea of oneness is, is saturates the kind of the bottom half of the entire text. It begins in verse 14 where he says, for he himself is our peace and has made us both one. Verse 15, that, that he might create for himself one new man in the place of two. Verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Verse 18, through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And verse 19 continues on with that, that same theme of oneness. No longer strangers, no longer aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You see that, that, that now together, Jew and Gentile are one body, one household of God. And I think in verses 20 to 21 is where it kind of reaches its climax. We are one building built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone, the single most load-bearing stone in the whole thing, the thing that unites, the thing that supports, the thing that ties the whole structure together. That is Christ Jesus. But yet Jew and Gentile, one building. And as one building together, we are a holy temple in the Lord in whom the whole structure being joined together, verse 21, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Do you see it? That as one building, as one people, as one body, together we are the temple, the dwelling place of God. In verse 22, the very same thing, in him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now there are three dozen mind-blowing things to draw from this particular text and I've only scratched the surface. But, But here is one for us to consider that we enjoy the presence of God, that that we, the gathered church, are the temple of God himself. That God dwells in the midst of his gathered people when we are together. That we enjoy the presence of God Almighty when we are together as one body. 
And yes, I, I know, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, or maybe is it 6, that, that all of us have the Spirit dwelling in us individually, that we are, we are individually the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But, but, you, but have you considered that, that together as the body of Christ, we are the dwelling place of God's Spirit? Right, that the body of Christ is God's dwelling place, that together we enjoy the presence of God. And if that is the case, that if being together means something for us as the body of Christ, then shouldn't we think really hard about isolating ourselves from the gathered body of Christ this text uh, among a number of different things is emphasizing the fact that being together that, that togetherness as Jew and Gentile that togetherness as the people of God is important you know whatever problems or quibbles or controversies or conflict may come isolation from the body of Christ that's not the answer that we, that the body of Christ's ridge are, are the dwelling place of God among many others. Right? Many, you know, many people across the face of the world you know, in, in, in some churches want to see and feel and experience the Spirit of God, do miracles and do extraordinary things. Good desire, maybe. Looking forward in the wrong place, Certainly. What's amazing is that when we gather together as the body of Christ, God dwells with us. That's, that's when God shows up. That when, when, you, when you walk into this room on the Lord's Day morning and the Lord's Day evening, like, God is here with his people. He's here at the table with his people. Christ spiritually present, feeding, dining, eating with his people. That together we enjoy the presence of God. This passage has, again, a lot to say about a lot of things, but what, what we've drawn from it tonight is this, is that Christ has made us a part of the people of God and has therefore given us belonging both to his people and to himself. Only in Christ do we come in and enjoy the blessings of being part of his covenant people, the people that he has promised to save. And look around the room. These are your people. This is where you get to enjoy the presence of God. This is where, this, this really is, I think this passage teaches, the best place on earth where God's people are gathered together and worshiping him. This really is the, the best place on earth. We have each other, but even more than that, we have the Lord God Almighty who promises to save And so if that is true, if God values his people as much as he does, then we ought to value his people as much as he does, right? This passage, I think that one of the applications of it is, is God loves his church. And so we ought to love his church too and take care of it. 
Not necessarily physically, but, but, but take care of each other. Take care of this church body. We ought to not grow weary in doing good. We ought to build it up and not, and not tear it down. That we ought to love our brothers and sisters and, and not bleed with hate towards them. That we ought to give to the Lord God Almighty and to our brothers and sisters our gifts and our graces and not only just be consumers. And especially that we not allow Satan to form a dividing wall of hostility within the body of Christ. That he might not build back what Christ has already torn down. Together we are the dwelling place of God and so may we treat each other like it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you Again, that you love your people, that you promise to take care of them, that you give us each other, but you also give us your son and you give us yourself and your promises therein. We thank you, O Lord, that we get the privilege of being those people. We pray, Lord, that we would not forsake or forget that blessing. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.